Okay, it is Wednesday, May 20th. Time for another edition of the daily Come On Now MMA podcast. Um, So what I want to start off with is an observation about the UFC's health and safety plan that was published um, for the Jacksonville events and I'm going to assume for uh, other events going forward. Um, I know that it was given to other states to look at and analyze. And while it looks good on paper, we saw in Jacksonville that the plan and the enforcement of the plan lacked any teeth. Um, I will have another story about this coming to Bloody Elbow in the next day or two um, where an epidemiologist went over the plan and an infection control um, expert also went over the plan. So be on the lookout for that. But what I want to talk about is what is absent from the plan. And that is uh, post-fight safety and health. And this does fall on the UFC more than the athletic commissions. Um, The athletic commissions have their um, medical suspensions and whatnot, but they do not have anything really to say right now about um, infection control and testing and quarantining and post-fight care and follow-up. That, that I'm going to believe is going supposed to fall totally on the UFC. And uh, the document doesn't have anything that I could find um, related to that. And that's very concerning to me, especially when you consider um, that the COVID-19 virus has a incubation period of uh, up to 14 days. So ideally, the document would have told the fighters and well what 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 the UFC would call in its documents participants which is everyone who is at the event in any way shape or form um so what it should say is that these folks should go home and quarantine for 2 weeks they should then get tested stay in quarantine until that test comes back and then the UFC should inform them of the results of the test and act from there. If there is follow-up care needed, the UFC should pay for that. Um, if there's not follow-up care needed, then they should just go and um, do engage in the normal safety measures um, that are suggested by the state and the CDC. But I don't see any of that in the plan. So... I don't know what the plan is. And that's a giant lack of transparency from the UFC. It kind of makes me feel that the UFC is washing its hands of its responsibility once someone gets on, well, once someone rolls their bag out of the hotel to travel home is the feeling. And then you're kind of on your own. And... That's, that shouldn't be the, how it is. And I know the, that these folks are, for the most part, independent contractors. 
Um, media has no say whatsoever. Um, they're not tied to the UFC monetarily or in, as an independent contractors or anything. Um, and so I guess legally the UFC could do that because the independent contractors, what they're contracted for is complete. Um, and that's scary because, like I said, there's an incubation period of 14 days. Now, in the document, and this is another part, in the document it says that um, the folks, the participants have to wear PPE traveling to the fighter hotel, but it doesn't mention anything about PPE traveling from the fighter hotel to the home. So a huge, 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 huge miss by the UFC on that one. It, like I said, it gives the impression that the UFC only cares about safety and health up to the point where that person's heading home. And Dana White is beating this drum of safety and health, safety and health, safety and health, but he's not following through and he's not providing safety and health at least that we know of um, to the participants in these events once they head home. So that's something that really needs to be cleaned, cleared up and it's something that the media who attends the events needs to ask. These are essential questions and I think um, the UFC should be forced to answer them. And... It's a simple question too, because it's a question that, as a as a individual, you would you would want to know. Why would you not want to know if the UFC has any any plans for you to take care of yourself once you leave? They'll do a fine job when you're there, um, when it concerns them, when they could get sick, but once you head home, you're on your own. It's it's not a good look. It's a terrible look. Um, and I hope that there is correction to the document. I reached out to the UFC, but as you know, I'm not on the uh, respond to list, so I don't get answers. Hopefully someone else can get these answers because they are very much needed. So um, we need to know what the UFC's plans are for safety and health once people head home, um, testing care, follow-up, and why the UFC isn't being transparent about any of this. Because if you're not, you know, shouting from the rooftops that this is what you're doing to provide an example of other, two other leagues and sports that have not started going yet, well, then you look like you're hiding something. And even if you're not, that's the appearance. So that needs to change. As we know, um, the UFC has said that it's going to have its May 30th event in Las Vegas. I haven't seen any comment on that from the Nevada State Athletic Commission. So while Dana White says the fight's on for Vegas, I'm going to wait for confirmation from the state on that because let's not forget 
that White said that the event was going to take place on the 23rd in Vegas. So he's stretched the truth before on the date of this event and the location. So let's just hold off for now on that. But what I really want to talk about on this May 30th event, and and it kind of goes for the first for UFC 250 as well, just not as much right now, but it's something to watch for UFC 250. So the card is not nearly filled out yet uh, for May 30th, wherever it's going to be, um, and that's so. What let's say the fighters find out tomorrow or Friday. That effectively gives them zero camp because they're going to have to travel and get to wherever the fight card is on Tuesday or Wednesday. So their whole camp, if you can call it a camp, less than a week because once you consider travel time and getting there, they have no camp. There is zero camp, zero training, zero preparation, effectively zero time to look at their opponent and figure out a game plan. Um, And the expectation is that these fighters will accept that for what they're already being paid, that they're currently being paid no bump and pay during, during a pandemic and not knowing where they're going. And that is not anything I would call professional. You're asking someone possibly to do all this for ten or twelve thousand dollars. Some of them are probably going to be offered, and that's a joke. It's a, it's not funny, sad and pathetic, but it's a joke. So the, these the fighters are being taken advantage of, and. It's still puzzling to me why um, they don't band together on this, something like this. A fighters association would be able to negotiate um, pay raises for short notice fights, hazard pay for fights during dangerous conditions, like say a global pandemic. And these are things a fighter association could 100% help with. But now the offer comes in, it's yes or no. If you don't want to travel during a pandemic, okay. If you do, okay, you're going to get paid the same. If you want to, if you want to have a full fight camp, sorry, we can't offer you that. If you want to have a full fight camp, if you don't want to have a full fight camp, you're willing to fight on short notice, all right, great, you're fighting in 10 days and you're getting paid the same. Uh, we'll, we'll, and we'll let you know your opponent tomorrow or something to that effect. So none of this is good for the fighters. The only people it's good for is the UFC um, and, the, and the fans who blindly just accept whatever is on their TV for, for that weekend. is It's okay with them too, um, but ones who care about the athletes and their futures and their health and safety, they might be a little more interested in um, how these fights are being made and and what the UFC is 
doing to take advantage of the fighters. But, yeah, this is another reason among a growing list of reasons why UFC fighters need to stick together and fight for better uh, pay benefits and, you know, just basic rights that the UFC has been withholding from them for from day one. Um, I, I, I hope there comes a breaking point. I have no confidence in that, but I hope there comes a breaking point. And this kind of fits really well with the next subject, which is Mark Hunt commenting on Henry Cejudo's retirement. So I guess in Hunt's mind, he's one of the folks who I think thinks that Cejudo, Cejudo's retirement was a, or is a, a ploy to get some extra pay or rework a contract. And this is what Mark Hunt said. And this is from Low Kick. Uh, I never got the title, but if I did, I would have been exactly like Henry Cejudo and the rest of them, speaking my mind and telling I want, telling I want more. When you're a top end prize fighter or a world champion, you don't need to, you don't need to ask more. If if that was a boxing champion, do you think they would be asking for more? No. Like I said, they're not sharing the entire revenue. The fighters are only getting a small percentage, and that's totally wrong. These fighters should be getting paid accordingly, and they're not. And you can see that by guys like a world champion, Triple C, Henry Cejudo, saying, I need more money. Why is that, Henry? Is there something wrong? Yeah, because I'm not getting my worth. I'm not getting what I'm supposed to be getting. And that's all from Mark Hunt uh, for an um, interview with Low Kick. I can't really disagree with anything he's saying. Um, the UFC is not going to rework someone's contract willingly um, especially a fighter who has worked their way up to the top and is now making champion money the UFC is going to tie them up into a contract as long as it can and for as little as it can and that's the nature of the business and without a fighters association without a strong manager a fighter like Cejudo um, a fighter who has held championships in two weight divisions and has defended both those belts that's why he can't get a better deal and the UFC can't say the money's not there because we know how the revenue split is. We know that now. And it's terrible. And we also know Henry Cejudo's manager is Ali Abdelaziz, who went out and kicked his client in the in the goddamn head and told the everyone that he thinks Cejudo will fight again. So if this was a retirement to to get a better deal, his his manager the guy that's supposed to get him the best deal he can sunk it, sunk it, just torpedoed it. 
and I don't know how you can say that that's good management. Now, Cejudo's coach is out here saying that he thinks the retirement's going to stick, but he's not negotiating with the UFC for Cejudo. If Cejudo comes back and says he wants to fight again, the UFC is going to say, here's your contract, take it or leave it. Cejudo's manager put all the power right back onto the UFC. And as we know, uh, Abdelaziz is not the best or strongest negotiator when it comes to his fighters. And like I've said in the past, Ray Sefo uh, at PFL has said that he likes dealing with Abdelaziz because he doesn't um, try and play one offer against another which is, you know, management 101 in, in the fight game. You, you play offers off each other. That's your only leverage in, in MMA. And when a manager opening, open, openly does not do that, that's a terrible manager. And I don't know why, how he gets away with it. And I've been thinking about this. And maybe that's the reason he has so many fighters under his under his umbrella, is that he's got a volume approach, and if he takes 10 to 20%, which again, he should take no more than 10, because what's he really doing for his clients? I don't see the, I don't see the dominance MMA guys racking up outside uh, endorsement deals that are rare to begin with. So if he's taking 10 to 20%, of everyone's m money on the on the dominance roster, maybe that's why he has so many fighters under his under his roster just to make his money in volume instead of in negotiating harder for his clients. Um, but again, this is something that a fighters association could help with. They could work deals that. Once you're a champion and you defended a title, if you're a champion in two divisions and you defended both titles, the pay accelerates. You get a better cut of the revenue. You get a better cut of the of the gate. You get a better cut of the pay-per-view money. All this stuff could be negotiated with a fighter's association because you know damn well the majority of the MMA managers are not going to do this kind of thing. They're not. Whether they're in the UFC's pocket or not strong enough negotiators or the UFC holds all the power, all these things have to be considered. Um, but it's a rare, rare, rare fighter who is going to be able to negotiate themselves into a better deal. And John Jones is going to be the litmus test of that right now. If he can get a better deal, he'll fight... Ngannou. If he can't, he'll just fall back to light heavyweight and make his money by just running down a list of light heavyweight fighters. Assuming that he wins all those fights at light heavyweight. Um, so the UFC has to think about what it, what it wants to pay John Jones when it comes to uh, fighting up at heavyweight at a time when the UFC needs to feed its 
major owner as much cash as possible. So that's that's really something to watch. But again, a fighters association. I'm not saying it's going to be, you know, a great thing right from the get-go. But over time, these things build up. And you can thank every other pro league, can thank its association for how quickly wages have risen in those leagues after they got an association. Because it gives, it gives power to the group as opposed to giving power to the league or, in this case, the promotion. Uh, again, just something to think about. So the MMAJA today released a statement that it um, was advising MMA media folks not to sign the, I guess, updated uh, waiver for future events. Um, I'm assuming that the UFC made some changes to that, but not uh, enough changes that were acceptable to the MMA JA. I think that's a good message that the uh, the MMA JA is sending, and I think. If there is any kind of restriction on the media in any kind of waiver, that it should not be signed because that's not journalism. That's PR. If you agree that you won't cover something, then you're agreeing to be compliant to the promotion that you should that you're allegedly reporting on. And that's unacceptable. So ideally, the document would go unsigned by everyone and the media would not attend the event if there was restrictions. I don't think that's going to happen. I think you will have folks that are going to sign it. And I think that hurts the strength of the MMA JA because that shows that... Um, there's not a united front as far as the journalists are and, and the media and the UFC. And that causes a rift in the MMA media. And it causes bad feelings. And I don't think that is something that should be accepted or... Uh, because it's just not... It, it it gives all the power again to the UFC to say, why would I let this guy come in or this or this gal come in and cover the event without saying telling me what they're going to cover? And you know why don't why can't the UFC just say, unless you're going to sign this waiver, you're never going to cover a UFC event. And I would, I'm going to bet that people will sign it. And that's not a good thing for uh, MMA media overall. I think um, the, the media, just like the fighters, they need to stick together. They have, need to have a united front. And anything short of that is, 
is is going to be a struggle for any kind of gains the MMAJA um, wants to make because the UFC when they put this waiver in these things um, is just attempting to buy compliance from the media and from its fighters and from the participants in the events. So if they can get that compliance from a handful of media members, well then those media members are going to be their go-to go-to guys and gals. And I'm sure that's a calculation that some media members are going to make and they're going to say if I sign this waiver and avoid negative coverage or adversarial coverage, then maybe I'll get some scoops from the UFC and that'll allow me to get more reads and move my way up and get more ad revenue then. Um, I understand that thinking. I don't agree with it because at that point you're not doing journalism, you're doing PR because now you've agreed to be compliant to the message that the UFC wants to send out. And we all know we already have situations like that, spoken or unspoken, um, and we don't need more in the media. We, we need less. We need none. We need a free and open media to cover the sport honestly. And when it needs to be covered adversarially, that needs to be done. There should be no compliance. There should be no fear of repercussions. Um, there should just be honest reporting. And I don't think we have that overall. I mean, I know we don't have that overall. But I think that's what we need to get to. Uh, and without a united front, the MMAJA, which is I, I'm thinking is trying to get there, just won't be able to. And... So this is a question I saw on Twitter a couple times today. And I don't have an answer for it, but I hope there will be an answer from the MMA JA. Because it's a legitimate question. And um, so the question is, what if a member of the MMA JA signs the waiver is that, you know, what, what, what's the repercussions? Are there any repercussions? Because that's going against the wish of the MMAJA, that's, which is a, a journalist association. So I kind of equate that to crossing a, a picket line. I mean, it's not that severe, but it's, it's kind of along those lines because your association that you're a paying dues, a dues-paying member for as saying, don't do this, and then you do it. So it's kind of akin to that. Now, if you're not a member of the MMAJA, I mean, you're free to do whatever you want. But I would hope that you would, even if you're not a member, that you would stick by the wishes of the association, um, which is trying to get uh, a better overall deal in, in, the, in the media world from these promotions. So you kind of shoot that in the foot if you agree to the UFC's terms. But I would, I would like to see that question answered because I think it's an important one because this is the same. I mean, if there's no repercussions from the 
MAJA, and I think the only real repercussion could be um, some kind of sanction or you're kicked out or something of, of that sort, then, you know, you kind of weaken the overall standing of the, the MMA media. That's just my thoughts on that. Um, I've been a big supporter of the idea of the MMAJA. I have some problems with execution and I will I plan on covering that at some point. Um, just on the just on the sake of transparency for me. But the idea I agree with. Um, I think it would be a big help. And uh, things like this, signing waivers and doing the bidding of the UFC, that doesn't help. That doesn't help media. It doesn't help the readers. It doesn't help anyone except the UFC. And maybe you personally, if they give you some scoops. But, I mean, the hopes of that are pretty slim right now that they're partnered with ESPN, I think. I think ESPN's got the got the inside skinny on getting the scoops. So it's a difficult thing when the MMA media has been so friendly with the UFC over the years. It's a difficult thing to make changes. And when, a, when someone signs a waiver to agree to do what the UFC says it should, they should do, it just makes things a little more difficult. Um, and I'm going to end it on that because that's 30 minutes and I will be back tomorrow with something some other things to discuss but until then stay safe